take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. So now you've heard the story of how I went from seeing images online of a beautiful place in France that seemed like a remote fantasy at first, to calling it my home within about nine months. And I've told you how unconventional the situation was from beginning to end, starting with the fact that at first I didn't even know where it was or how to find it, that I could find no one through the usual channels to show it to me, that it was way beyond my means and represented a much larger vision than anything I had previously allowed myself to dream of, and how there's no way that we could have planned the outcome that we experienced in the fullness of time as the situation evolved. I've told you about the many synchronicities I experienced along the way and the many signposts, inner knowings, and resonances that my intuition sent to guide and encourage me on my path when I was trying to find the place and get inside to see it through to its acquisition. How strong my love for the land was and how the place itself seemed to represent a perfect confluence of karmic forces in the continuum of my soul's journey with the potential to heal the ancient past and anchor a pillar of light in the present to call in the higher dimensional frequencies of the future. Looking back, I can see that the main drivers in this manifestation were the multidimensional higher aspects of the eternal self drawing me into greater communion with itself through a deep heart-based knowing and yearning for the sense of home. I've related to you how I endeavored to keep the faith during many months of watching and waiting back home in Canada when there were no outward visible signs of progress to reassure me that I was on the right track. At the same time, the world pandemic situation had evolved in such a way that my husband's relationship to his career totally transformed and it became not only feasible but desirable for him to consider a new life in a new country. I've told you how we decided to sell our home in Canada with nothing to go to, and how finally, in the six weeks before our departure into the unknown, a brief, sharp, and highly uncharacteristic spike in the real estate market allowed us to sell our house for far more than we had ever had it appraised at in the perfect window of time, bringing us nearly to an even exchange of value between where we were going and what we were leaving behind. Looking back, and seeing how things unfolded at that time, I'm still astonished and amazed at the sequence of events. Steve Jobs said that you could never connect the dots going forward in your life, only looking back, and this is true. There were moments where I felt an extreme sense of pressure as the situation and the unknown 
cooked me in a crucible whose purpose was to transform fear and doubt into trust and courage. The many months of maintaining a steady focus on my vision, despite uncertainties, developed resoluteness and taught me to surrender simultaneously with focusing my energy toward a very specific goal. But I don't want you to think that I went through all of this with total serenity. After all, there is this dynamic tension of growth between the part of us that is pulling us forward into our destiny stream and another part of us that is in resistance and fear sometimes, afraid to trust and afraid of stepping into a greater sense of self, afraid of losing the familiar bearings of limitation and assuming a greater embodiment of our spiritual power. This is the light in us that Marianne Williamson famously said, we fear more than our darkness. As humans, we're always on the cross in the sense that our infinite vertical dimension beyond time and space intersects in the present moment with our finite horizontal dimension navigating time and space. This is the symbol of the cross. In the material dimension, our perspective is sharply circumscribed compared to the omniscience and omnipresence of our infinite nature. Therefore, to the degree that we fail to fully trust in and be present and receptive to God's plan for us, we tend to suffer through the machinations our mind constructs in its attempts to make plans and its need for certainty. A Course in Miracles says, the mind engaged in planning for itself is occupied in setting up control of future happenings. It does not think that it will be provided for unless it makes its own provisions. And it does not see that here and now is everything it needs to guarantee a future quite unlike the past, without a continuity of any old ideas and sick beliefs. Let no defenses but your present trust direct the future. I mean, to me, that's just like mind-blowing. Let no defenses but your present trust direct the future. Wow. In the months before our departure, when we knew that we had decided to leave Canada and go to France, but toward what we did not know, my mind's fear and resistance to trusting in the universe's plan took the form of a lot of physical aches and pains. Physical aches and pains and illness of every kind are, at the root, defenses against truth that allow us to remain identified with the limitation of ourselves as a personal self, as a body in space and time. And I recall that in the morning during my practice, moving into cat stretch was very painful. My mid-back and kidney area continuously felt sore and under strain as if the muscles were about to go into spasm. I also had mysterious dull and electrical shooting pains through my solar plexus. It was very bizarre. Well, I chalked it up to stress, since obviously we were going through so many changes, and tried to book a massage. But as we were still in some level of confinement for a good deal of that time, it wasn't easy to find a massage therapist who was working. 
But again, through a series of synchronicities, I met the perfect person who could help me in an unlikely place where I was on an unrelated errand. She agreed to see me privately, and the modalities in which she worked were just the right ones to help me process whatever was going on in my back. I remember (laughs) around that same time being on a call with a friend and describing the challenges I was having, always on the edge of a back spasm. And with pain in my solar plexus, it sometimes brought me to tears. I said to her, I just feel like I can't move. It's like I'm afraid to move because I'm always on the verge of a back spasm. And I noticed her looking at me with a raised eyebrow. And she's like, Claire, I don't want to be too obvious, but did you hear what you just said? You just feel like you can't move? (laughs) You're afraid to move? Could it be that you're just afraid to move to France? Sometimes things are so obvious and staring you in the face that you don't see them. I realized I was holding on so tight, trying to control outcomes, not believing deep down that I would be provided for unless I did it myself, unless the personal self was in control. So that's the solar plexus right there, control and personal power. And the mid-back, kidneys, that's fear. The kidneys in Chinese medicine hold the energy of fear. And when they're in balance, you're in a state of trust. So the pain in the mid-back and in the kidney area was a manifestation of fear, blocking the energy from moving through harmoniously and smoothly. And then I would have these shooting pains coming through from the mid-back into the solar plexus. I remember in my mind's eye, it was like I could see lightning bolts, like heat lightning going off in my solar plexus from where I was trying to control the universe. So the fear back behind me resulted in attempts to try to control from the front. See what I mean? Classic. (laughs) The body always ends up as a battleground for unresolved paradoxes in the mind. When we're not in a state of trust, when we haven't fully grasped, as it says in A Course in Miracles, that everything happens, all events, past, present, and to come, are gently planned by one whose only purpose is our good and whose loving blessing shines in every step we ever take. So the next time I was on the massage table, I made a concerted effort to soften everything, to surrender, to yield, to let go, all the while talking to the healer about my feelings of fear and vulnerability, which she helped me to process through the meridians. As I articulated the pattern, I could feel it letting go. It was quite simply the attempt of the personal self, the ego, to take charge and control outcomes and will them into a successful conclusion. And I'm telling you, from one moment to the next, once I consciously determined to let go, to surrender, to believe that I was provided for and stop trying to control life, the pain and the muscle spasms in my mid-back completely released. It was like night and day. I felt a tremendous sense of relief, giving over and trusting that everything was working out in my favor, even if I couldn't see any evidence of that just yet. I also want you to realize that I sometimes felt conflicted in my single-mindedness toward my dream because I had a husband to consider. The lesson here is that we do not need to make decisions or control outcomes for other people or worry if their decisions don't line up with what we want. We don't know what's best for other people and we don't often know what's best for us. Our job is to be as true to ourselves as we can, as true to what our heart is telling us as we can, rather than what the mind is saying. 
and this allows other people to be true to themselves. The universe always orchestrates events for the highest good of all, and any perception of being on the winning or losing end of things is simply that, a perception. Things are as they are, and there is opportunity in every situation if we are willing to look for it, whether or not circumstances seem favorable to us. There was a lot of changeability in my husband's point of view on the situation. He did not follow me blindly to a foreign country where he doesn't speak the language, by the way. He was testing the waters energetically for himself every single day, trying to feel out if this potential timeline was a match for him or not. And there were days when he said to me, I don't know if I want this. I'm not sure it's realistic. He never shut me down, but he did mirror my own insecurities and doubts and my own questioning about whether I could trust my heart to tell me the truth about something. (laughs) Or would practical considerations overshadow and outweigh the vibration of love, connectedness, and oneness that were so much at the center, the essence of my powerful feeling of connection to the land and a place where I'd only spent a few hours in total. Even though we were very much together in a process of discovery, it often felt like the life that I was already living in my mind at La Fargo was something I was alone in. At the end of the day, I really had only myself to turn to for reassurance that I could trust my feelings. And I also had to accept that my husband might not want to move forward in this particular way. And I respect him, so I knew that I would respect any decision he made that was right for him. So there were a lot of unknowns in every area of life on every level. It was a daily balancing act of being able to, on the one hand, stay very focused, very intentional, and very much connected to the feeling tone of the life that I wanted to bring forth, and a continuous letting go, surrender, and non-attachment to outcome, trusting that the universe would orchestrate the highest outcome for him and for me. Many times in those intervening months, my husband said to me, I don't want to rush into anything. We're not in a hurry. We could go there and rent something for a year and just look around and get to know the areas. There might be other areas that I want to look at, to which I always replied, of course, we'll do that. And we had a couple of other houses that we were interested in from our property searches, which I managed to Google Earth locate using my spidey sense, that were far more affordable and looked like interesting prospects. So we had planned to look at everything that was available in the area before making any kind of decision. To that end, we had decided to rent a house for a month in a little village called Tourise that would allow us to have a home base from which to explore the area. We had also rented a car for three months, which was the length of time that my husband was permitted to stay in France on a tourist visa. So those were the bare bones of our quote unquote plan (laughs) once we had sold our house in Canada. Very much a question mark and very open-ended. Our remaining belongings would be left in storage in Canada while we ventured forth, and we figured we would make the decisions later about what to keep, what to get rid of, whether we would move things over, and what to do with our grand piano and all those kind of things that you have to consider. And then you realize how much stuff you have, even after you try to get rid of as much as you can, the burdens of the past and the trappings of the life you've lived and whom you've believed yourself to be. 
I do also want to say one more thing about the sale of our house and the state of the market at that moment. Remember that when we surrender our personal will and trust the universe, things always work out as a win-win situation for everyone concerned. And certainly this was what I had been focused on when selling our house became an actual reality and we put the wheels in motion. I started to envision the perfect person or people falling in love with our house and easily being able to afford it. In my heart, I held it as a win-win situation for us, for the buyer, for the real estate agents, and for anyone else who might be involved in the transaction. This perfect storm of market conditions made it the strongest seller's market there had ever been in our town. But as it happened, our buyer was also a seller and received exactly the same benefit from the market as we did, making her purchase of our house a seamless process, almost as if there were no money changing hands. She sold her house and bought ours effortlessly, and we sold ours to buy another effortlessly, as if we all had simply sidestepped into new situations through an exchange of energy. The transactions were smooth and harmonious with very little effort required from us. In fact, one of our dear friends, who's a lawyer, handled the transaction for us as a gift, and by the time the sale closed, we were already in France. Within a few days of our arrival there, we were at La Fargo and passed two blissful days there. I could see my husband falling under the sway of its charms, even in its state of mild dilapidation, and starting to envision himself living there. We did go to see the two other houses we had flagged as interesting in all our scouring of the real estate websites over those many months, but we instantly knew they weren't for us. Even after we had gone to our month-long rental about 20 minutes away, we drove to La Fargo every single day. Christophe had casually allowed us to keep the keys, telling us to come by whenever we wanted, to feel free to spend time there and to get to know it. We often passed him in the car as we were coming and going over the next couple of weeks and as he was coming down from his sheep coat on the high ridge, and he always seemed overjoyed that we were hanging out there. I guess he must have known that the more time we spent bonding with the place, the more likely it was we would make an offer, even though we had told him that we had other possibilities to consider and that we weren't going to put any pressure on ourselves. He also knew that we were waiting for the sale of our house to go through in Canada, so we were all biding our time. One day when we arrived to spend the afternoon there with a little picnic, we found Christophe there with our future next door neighbors and another couple. They were friends of the neighbors and he was gonna show them the property as they were interested in it after talking to the neighbors. Oof, suddenly we realized we shouldn't be there and we had to turn around with our picnic and leave. So as we drove away, my heart was pounding and I felt my solar plexus contract. I breathed to let go. And my husband spoke my thoughts, though. It's one thing to assume it's ours, he said, but then you realize it isn't yet. Those people could make a higher offer, and then that would be that. The thought of it not being ours began to intrude, and I think it was the first time my husband felt a sense of urgency about it. Whatever will be, will be, I said. I didn't want to rush him into anything or impose my will. It had to happen naturally. We haven't looked at enough other places, he would say. We said we would take our time. I know, I would reply, but we've looked at everything that's available right now, and there's not a lot we like. I know, he would add. There's no other place like this. The year before, when I had been seriously considering the plot of vacant land I mentioned in an earlier episode of this series, 
I had made contact with a couple of architects through another interesting synchronicity where I had randomly Googled articles on the building process in France to educate myself and ended up reading an interview with this one architect. As I read through, I really liked his vibe. He seemed honest, knowledgeable, and authentic. And at one point, he mentioned that in their area of southern France, there were certain regulations. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if he might be anywhere near where I'm looking. So I Googled his name, and lo and behold, he was a native of the area. And though they had worked for many years in a large firm in Lisbon, he and his wife had recently moved back and opened an office in nearby Carcassonne. Not only that, but my cousin asked an architect friend of his to do a little background research and found that this couple was well-respected and did good work. I had met with them when I was considering building from scratch or renovating an existing building to find out that they were committed to traditional building methods, working with the highest quality natural materials and organic building and design concepts, so it felt really aligned. Now that the situation had changed again and we were close to making an offer on La Fargo, I called them up and they generously offered to come down and look at the property with us. We ended up having a lovely evening with them, sitting on the terrace, having given them a tour of the place. They were deeply impressed with the quality of the workmanship, saying that it was not very common to find modern buildings built according to such high standards, and that the fact of it having been a hotel had required higher standards of insulation and other materials that gave it an exceptional solidity. When we told them the price it was listed at, they said it was fair and that it was a real gift to find something so solidly and tastefully built. We highly recommend that you buy this place if you love it, they said, and we would be happy to work on the project with you for any updates that you have in mind. This additional reassurance gave us the confidence to move forward. So on the day we were ready to make an offer, we drove up to Christoph's converted sheep coat on the ridge. The road was more pothole than roadway, and we bumped and bounced over the ruts in our little Fiat 500 rental, never going beyond second gear, and praying that we wouldn't incur any damages. As the sun beat down on the twisting road lined with occasional rows of tall cypresses rising up from the scrub of the Garrigue, I could see Roman legions in my mind's eye crossing through this valley, and my feeling was that it hadn't changed much since those days. Through the open windows, you could hear the car tires crushing the stones and our slow progress along the ridge, and the buzzing drone of the cicadas crescendo and decrescendo. It was hot. The stirring fragrance of dried herbs and pine wafted through with the breeze, and we passed underneath the welcome shade of a canopy of trees. Stop the car, I said, just for a couple minutes. Let's just sit here. We were both nervous about the offer. Would he accept it? It was the number that we had decided we could not go above. And though we knew he was willing to negotiate, we didn't know what the magic number was in his mind. So we turned off the car to breathe for a few minutes, listening to the rustling of the wind in the trees and the faint sound of a little creek we had just passed over. The birds were twittering. There was a palpable stillness underneath it all. And some words from the Bible passed through my mind like a breeze. The kingdom of God is inside you and all around you, not in a mansion of wood and stone. Split a piece of wood and I am there. Lift a stone and you will find me. We spent a few more moments in the cathedral of nature. 
and then started the engine and rolled the rest of the way up the hill to Kristoff's. His place was remote, sun-baked, windswept, and totally off the grid, with the same feeling of casual elegance and rugged authenticity that he had brought to La Fargo. We met his daughter and her companion visiting from Italy, and Christophe proudly showed us her latest work, because like his father, who was a well-known and respected French artist, his daughter is also an artist. Displayed there on a console table in the entryway was a piece that immediately caught my eye. A thick tree branch split open in the center, revealing gleaming gold-leaf hardwood that caught the light. It was so simple and poetically resonant that my breath caught in my throat. Split a piece of wood and I am there. It was like a little love note from spirit reminding me that everything was aligned. We sat down to a beautiful lunch of simple but distinctive dishes with an Asian flair and I was reminded there was a good reason Christophe's restaurant venture at La Fargo had been so successful. The food was delicious and vibrantly fresh. As we drank coffee afterward, he put a hand on my arm and said kindly, Are you nervous? (laughs) Yes, a bit, I said. Me too, he replied. I didn't sleep much last night. So without further ado, I made our offer. He sighed and looked down. I knew we were below the magic number. I can't go that low, he said. I'm sorry. As much as I would like you to have the place, it is impossible at that number. La Fargo is a jewel. I know what it's worth, and I can't let it go for any less than the magic number. We all sat together, solemnly absorbing the disparity in our numbers. But there was gentleness and compassion in the air. My husband, ever positive, lifted the mood. Well, he said, we'll have to find the way. There's a way. Christophe was mournful. I hoped you were the ones, he said. We are the ones, I said. We'll find a way and we left. It took courage to stretch even more and creatively rearrange things to meet the magic number, but we did. A few days later, I sent a message to Christophe letting him know it would all work out. Immediately, he called me, crowing with delight. I could hear his partner, Sylvie, joyously exclaiming in the background. He signed off with an exuberant invitation to enjoy his hospitality yet again at dinner in a few days, at which time he would introduce us to some of our Anglophone neighbors, much to my husband's delight and relief. Within a few weeks, we had signed the Compromis de Vente, which is a binding contract to buy, but which enables the buyer to withdraw from the agreement without penalty within 10 days of the signing. Once we had signed the contract, We were at the end of our rental period of the little village house in Torrise, and with Christophe's permission, we basically moved over to La Fargo. The withdrawal period came and went, and though there were some moments of nervous questioning, and I must admit that I did have one major meltdown, (laughs) we closed on the property by the end of September. Think how much we're saving on rent right now, we would reassure one another. And we don't have to buy any furniture or dishes or silverware or anything. It's true that La Fargo was well furnished when we took ownership. And though we did choose to eventually bring our remaining things over from Canada, including our grand piano, 
In many ways, it was the easiest move we've ever made. There's one more thing. Remember, goals are not for getting. Goals are for growing. Having manifested the dream home, having achieved the goal against all odds, and now the owners of a sprawling, beautiful, idiosyncratic, non-house in Qatar country, having been welcomed by wonderful neighbors all around, an unexpected but warm and fuzzy bonus which we've greatly enjoyed, and having been connected by those neighbors with amazing support to get the property up and running with repairs in the short term as well as the longer term, Well, it was an invitation to further growth, let's say. I was about to go through the alchemy of the forge, beaten with the hammer and given a new shape. Within days of closing on the purchase, we returned back to Canada to manage our affairs and arrange to have our belongings transatlantically moved. I came back after three weeks, but my husband had to remain because after months of back and forth, we still couldn't get him his long stay visa. And one complication after another meant he wasn't allowed to come back to France until after the new year. I got to know firsthand the endless, absurd convolutions of the French administrative paperasserie. On my own at La Fargo, November turned rainy, blustery, and cold. A month's worth of rain fell in days, and floods made roads impassable. And I had no heat for weeks. Then months. No one was ever available to fix the problem. The days grew shorter and darker, and I was cold all the time. The consulate didn't return my calls or emails about my husband's visa. The heating people didn't return my calls or emails. Nothing seemed to move forward. It was like shouting down a well. I felt lonely, isolated, and sometimes helpless. One day, I painfully twisted my back, again, my back, right? Stepping on a bucket instead of a ladder, duh, trying to put insulating foam around the top of my bedroom door to keep out the whistling wind. I got down on the floor and stayed there thinking, what if I can't get up? All the while, my dear uncle in Montpellier was slowly dying from Parkinson's, and the heaviness and sadness in my beloved cousins reawakened the remaining embers of unresolved grief about my own father's sudden passing almost 30 years before and which had rocked our whole family. My uncle finally passed on November 30th, but I was grateful to be able to support my aunt and my cousins through the experience. Then the power went out one day and no one seemed to know why. And I thought, that's it, I can't handle it anymore. I packed a bag to go to my aunt's so at least I could work because coaching was the only thing that saved me from totally going down the drain. It always raised my vibration to help others and it reinforced my faith in the principles I teach. But in the darkest days, as winter solstice finally came around, I was finding it hard to get up out of bed in the cold and the dark in the morning to do my practice. My mom, with her spidey sense, knew something was not well with me, and indeed I was often up in the middle of the night with a nameless sense of dread that we'd made a terrible mistake and that this was all my fault. I had decided not to run a new session of my programs until after the new year because I just needed to go within. Christmas came, and with it my mom, but my poor husband was still stuck on the other side of the ocean. Being with family at my brother's place in Aix-en-Provence was a bomb, but it also made me feel even more vulnerable. 
I was scheduled to go directly to the ashram, where my teacher lives in the French Alps, right after Christmas Day, and I deeply felt the need for it. As the day drew near, I got sick. And boy, was I sick. At the solstice, I had asked Shiva to cut the bonds to my attachments, my limiting beliefs and my programming, so that I could take the next step in my evolution. I knew, I deeply recognized that I was in a growth period, even though it was very painful, and I knew I needed help. Well, ask and you shall receive. At the ashram, I hold up like an animal and finally gave over to all the grief from this and past incarnations that had been stirred up over the previous months by spending time at La Fargo. It was as if my mere extended presence on the land in solitude had been performing upon my constitution some strange alchemy of the forge, preparing the base elements in me to be exalted and transformed into gold, exposing all my fears and wearing down my resistance with the martinet, the power hammer, to the rhythm of my heartbeat. Split a piece of wood and I am there. Lift up a stone and you will find me. I was worked by the energy of the forge, and even in the cold and damp, something in me was being burned away. And so at the ashram, my other Martinet, I coughed and coughed and coughed until I bruised my ribs and everything finally came up. It was a major breakthrough and a relief, allowing myself to just be sick and broken for those couple of weeks at the ashram was a beautiful healing experience and somehow it all felt like it was in the perfect order of things. I called back parts of my psyche that had been split off in the shock and grief of my father's sudden death when I was 23 and just starting out my life in show business. Although I had processed so much of the emotion around that life event, I realized that there was still a part of me frozen in time loyal to him as if by keeping part of me his little girl, I could somehow bring him back or stop the advance of time without him. But that part of me resisted fully entering spiritual maturity and true adulthood, and I knew it was time to do that. I integrated that split-off energy that had been like a slow leak and finally let go of my loyalty to the land of the dead the way that my father would have wanted me to. Coming back home to La Fargo after those three weeks, to a newly heated house, thank goodness, while I was gone, the heat had actually been fixed, and welcoming home my husband, who was finally able to enter the country again, I felt the tide within me had turned. The gift of manifesting my dream home was not only the place itself, but also all the challenges it presented me with, that called up the latent fears of aloneness, incapacity, fear of the cold and the wildness of nature, fear of death and fear of failure. It felt like all of these pieces of me from the past presented themselves for reintegration. All the other sides of the coin of what had drawn me here in the first place demanded an even deeper surrender and letting go of control than I had experienced up until then. Because when the mind is full of fear, there isn't enough space to hear the voice for truth that calls to us through the dreams of our hearts. 
This is everyone's journey. We are all presented with the same paradox of finding our ultimate freedom in our utter dependence on spirit, our power in total surrender, and our strength in softest yielding. We discover the highest expression of our uniqueness by dissolving the personal self in the will of the Supreme, and we're provided for lavishly when we give everything away. I have been called to this place to anchor a pillar of light through which the higher frequencies of a galactic self can be grounded through this body. This I've been shown in visions that I've had since coming to live here on this land. So as personal as the connection to my home has always felt since I first laid eyes on it, it seems that the true coming home is a reconnection to a vaster self than I ever realized I was part of and that we're all part of. We each have our part to play in welcoming the changes that our planet's undergoing now and contributing to the new consciousness. There's so much more to be revealed to us about our divine origins and our magnificence. The shining stars wheeling overhead through the infinite dome of space have shared this with me. And they're calling us to remember our history and heritage from beyond this earth, stardust that we are. Come home now, they're saying. Remember who you are. Let go of nightmares now and step into the light. Manifest your dream home here and now. A new earth. Thank you for joining me in the Grace Space, where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.